faster, stronger, smarter. Coach Stephanie explores the art and science of ketogenic diets to optimize athletic performance. Welcome to the Keto Endurance Podcast. everybody. Welcome to the Keto Endurance Podcast. I have a special guest today, Dr. Jonathan Edwards. Dr. Edwards is an athlete and anesthesiologist. He's worked with many amazing athletes. He's worked with Peter Defty and the Optimized Fat Metabolism Program. He's a, a Cat 1 cyclist and you are the creator of a new ketone salts called Keto Fuels. We're going to talk a little bit about what you're doing now, why you created Keto Fuels, and why it's different than some of the other keto ketone salts on the market, and really how you use the ketone, ketone salts during training as a keto-adapted or a fat-adapted athlete. So welcome. Thank you. First off, let's talk about Keto Fuels. I am you and John Mahoney a brain cancer survivor created keto fuels keto fuels is a little different than some of the other ketone salts on the market because it's just can you talk a little bit about what ketone salts are and why is your ketone salts different keto um should back up you know it's uh basically john mahoney uh you know he's a brain cancer survivor had a very aggressive you know, brain cancer called anaplastic astrocytoma, you know, which is a very, very low survival rate. You know, just through him, just through you know, just through him changing changing his diet, lifestyle, full ketogenic met, you know, metabolic theory of cancer kind of thing. Um, you know, that's kind of how we got started. And it was actually Peter Defty that uh, introduced me to John uh, some years ago. And we, uh, you know, we just kind of went from there. And then the, I'd say the genesis of Keto Fuels uh, has to do with our involvement with uh, the makers of Tion Chi, uh, an herbologist named Roger Drummer, who recently was featured on the Bing Greenfield podcast. Um, and kind of, Roger Drummer, ironically, had bladder cancer, uh, muscular invasive bladder cancer as well. The story is actually very well told on uh, Ben Greenfield's podcast with Roger Drummer. But just to recap, Roger also lives in Las Vegas. Uh, Roger also knows John Mahoney. And through the discussions of myself, John, and Roger, Roger helped us formulate this version of keto fuels that we have now. So, you know, we have professional help in, in, in making this. Roger's deal in it was that he wanted uh, a supplement to keep him better in ketosis as well as increase his salt intake and help his periods of uh, intermittent fasting, you know, while he's uh, – battling his cancer um, and the keto fuels just came to life through necessity really you know uh, Roger had of course tried some of the others and you know the the one with uh, 
you know, a bunch of MCT powders in it and things like that. And then, so that was from the cancer standpoint. And then if you look at it from an athletic standpoint, you know, I definitely insisted, you know, it can't have all the powdery substances that some of the other, you know, keto ketone salts, um, possess, you know, like prove it or some of the others. And I tasted some of the others going to these, uh, conferences like, uh, John and I both attended the uh, metabolic conference for Dominic Diagostino in, uh, in Tampa. And, uh, I think we taste, we must have tasted three or four of them there. And I'll be honest, none of them were. No, they're all bad. I've tried a lot too. And I have your ketone fuels and yours by far and away taste absolutely the best. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's uh it's crazy, you know, it's just ah, it's just in a rush. They have a horrible aftertaste. Right. Yeah. It's if just you, uh, if it, you remember the very first ketones uh from Dominic Diagostino's uh, partner, longtime friend Patrick Arnold, he made these um ketone he made some uh ketone liquids. And the ketone liquids were just gasping. I mean, you actually gasped after you ingested them. And I remember, <laughs> and I remember I, you know, I kind of got some pro tour cyclists that I was working with at the time. I was like, you know, it's probably, you know, a good energy pathway to kind of manipulate in, in athletics, which we'll get into in a minute. But I just remember those salts were so 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 distasteful that that you actually formed a memory where you anticipated drinking them again and it just almost became not possible you know yes no matter what you did you could blunt it with lemon juice whatever it still was the same i mean <laughs> yeah. so well i i remember i was so excited to have the Keto OS come out with ketone salts because we interviewed uh, Dominic D'Agostino on our podcast, I think in 2014, a long time ago. And he goes, oh, you guys are, you know, way ahead of the times, you know, you're, because we were talking about endurance sports and, and um, ketosis when we had the name of our, we were um, fitness nerds then, and I changed the name of the podcast, but he, um, I was so excited when it finally came out and I ordered a whole bunch of it and I couldn't even drink it. So I was a little leery whenever John, I um, met you and John at the Bulletproof Executive Conference with Peter because we're all friends with Peter. And, um, and I just remember thinking, man, this stuff tastes good. And then I contacted John later and he's like, we're all out. <laughs> and so I was so excited whenever you had some more and I, I got some more and I ordered a bunch from you and I've sold all, but I have uh two and a half containers left and I'm hoarding them for myself, but. Oh, good. Yeah. It's still, <laughs> um, it's still definitely in the beta production, you know, in the, in the beginnings, you know, it's not like we've invested a whole bunch of money into, you know, professionally manufacturing. Right. And the packaging's pretty, uh, no, it's just all done. Primitive. <laughs> so, yeah. For now. yeah, yes, of course. It's meant to be that way until, um, you know, until we 
go through with, you know, cause you had to get insurance and, um, and it, it also leads into a discussion of why these supplements are so expensive. Um, like when, when you do them legitimately, you know, you get a label going, you get a, you know, branding, you get, you know, these nice little labels with the bottles and the desiccants. And then on top of that, you have to get an insurance on them. And, uh, you know, and then they, uh, and, uh, they got to get certified, you know, as generally recognized as safe, uh, these kind of things. Um, and once you add all that in, the, the cost of, of making anything just skyrockets. Right, because people are wondering, like, the ingredients on this probably aren't that expensive, but this container, all the ketone salts are pretty pricey. And it's just the ketones themselves. When you start bulk, uh, when you start ordering the the bulk suppliers for ketone salts, that's where it gets, um, that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. And to my knowledge, there's only two or three, um, importers of ketone salts, uh, that exist, you know, and most of, there's one, uh, Patrick Reynolds apparently is made somewhere here in the States, uh, in Iowa, I believe. Um, and the rest pretty much come from, uh, factories in China. You know, and what's important is they all have a certificate of analysis of purity. Um, and the uh, our, our supplier is called Compound Solutions. They're out of, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're all, most ketones like Kigenics and all, I think they're all using the same supplier as far as that goes, you know. So, so anyways, to back, uh, I think we should back up just a little bit with um, – you know, why we made it, you know, John and I, John Mahoney and I kind of had this idea to, to, to even make this, you know, so it, it came out of necessity for cancer patients. Um, you know, we're, we're not trying to medically treat cancer patients, but as you know, the power of treating cancer nowadays involves, you know, fasting and, uh, staying in ketosis or, um, in and out of ketosis and, you know, and if you ever want to get into that, just go re-tripping over the truth by Travis Christopherson and get into the metabolic theory, you know, of how cancer's treated. Um, and that's, you know, that gives you a big clue into, you know, what's, what, what's important. And then you got to ask yourself, is it the, is it the ketone salts? Is it the ketones themselves that are most important in keeping you in ketosis? And um, and that answer is actually no. You know, when you start looking at like Steve Finney and uh, uh, Jeff Bullock, you know, when you're in ketosis, your body by itself produces hundreds of grams of ketones, period, by itself. It's called endogenous production. You know, and when you ingest ketone salts, yeah, you're, you're probably ingesting like 10 grams, maybe 20 at most and, you know, in a serving. So I would say, you know, it's, it's a, it's a minor bump in the actual scheme of ketosis. And, but those who are going in and out of ketosis, can use it as just that, a supplement. You know, it's definitely not something you can just 
you know, drink and say, yep, I'm in solid ketosis. There's so much more to it than that. When you look at, you know, the metabolic, what the metabolic process is of being in ketosis is. So the keto fuels, the purpose they serve was the salt delivery. I, it's a very important aspect of these drinks. Um, and we chose a magnesium and sodium salt loading basis for the formulation of these ketone salts. And when you maintain your salt levels on a, and you're in a state of ketosis, it turns out to be very important because in a state of ketosis, your kidneys do certain things on a physiological level to rid your body of some of its endogenous salts and maintaining your salt levels turn out to be very important for the ability to stay in ketosis and not feel crummy, you know? And I mean, everybody who has ever tried to ever go in ketosis knows this, you know, the first couple of weeks are, are very hard. Uh, you don't feel well. Uh, call it what you want, keto, fuel, whatever. Most of that is, you know, due to the person's addiction, you know, sugar uh, in their brain. But second, it's also due to changes in renal physiology, just where the, the kidneys are just getting rid of salts. And basically your, your intravascular volume uh, regulation becomes upset um, and the balance changes. And what's very important is you maintain that intravascular load through salt supplementation. So these ketone salts also serve a great salt delivery system. And that's, and now going on to the athletic part of all this, that's a huge, that actually is a huge part of why it's, uh, why these salts or why keto fuels turn out to be very good in um, in uh, salt delivery and maintaining intravascular volume. Right. And do you think that that's one of the reasons why they taste better because of the combination of salts? Because, I mean, they do have like a, it's, if you're wondering what it tastes like, it's like a salty lemonade. I mean, it's really tasty. It's a legit electrolyte drink, you know? Right. And it's just, it's an electrolyte drink with, um, with ketone, uh, esters or the salts, but it's, uh, oh, yeah, esters. yeah. Esters are different. I know. Sorry. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> but, uh, the, so for endurance athletes who are using ketone salts, I tend to think that this, your ketone fuels is a little better because it's specifically for, the electrolyte balance as opposed to just adding ketone salts because you have a lot more magnesium in yours than probably i don't know the other ones have magnesium added well and that was on purpose um, right you know when we thought about it for for a couple reasons to increase the magnesium you know i i mean in general 40 percent of the u.s population is deficient in magnesium. I mean, you just got to read any basic research paper and you can see that. So getting more magnesium doesn't seem to ever be a bad thing. Uh, the other reason we tried to, we maxed out the, the, the 
amount of magnesium we could put in this is also for cancer. Because as you know, in brain cancer, there's a lot of seizures. Well, one thing that helps seizures is magnesium levels. Um, it's not the only thing, but it is a factor. So we thought, okay, let's also increase the magnesium. And if you look at athletic performance, magnesium again, it's all right there. Magnesium is very, very, very important. So anyway, our goal was to minimize the sodium, maximize the magnesium, and yeah, we achieved that. So anyway, we're, you know, that's uh, how it tastes. And the going back to why it tastes, I guess, good, it's just, you know, the way Roger helped us formulate it with, um, you know, usually every one of these have, you know, some, uh, you know, mixture of taste where, I don't know, there's a stevia involved and, um, you know, it's just how they're made, right? And um, so anyway, we just put that, put the right amount of mixtures and everything. And, and then Roger being an herbologist um, said, Hey, let's put like CDP choline in there. And, you know, some of the other things found in his uh, Tian Chi um, uh, supplement, the Chinese adaptogenic herbs. Um, so that was kind of the other idea into, into the formulation of it. Cool. I didn't know that Roger Drummond was helping you with this. I met him at um, Ben Greenfield's Become Superhuman conference. Yep. Yeah. Roger's an awesome guy. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> you know, and through it, and through his battle with cancer is kind of where all this, you know, kind of comes to comes into play. You're pretty progressive. I'm curious, what has sparked your interest? You've worked with endurance athletes for years and been a cyclist for years. Many cyclists, their training is pushing sugar. You know, with that paradigm to put stuff out there about keto adaptation or fat adaptation, but you're all on board and you understand it well and have really, you know, helped athletes. So what made you think about these things or, you know, do you have a an instant or is there a gradual awareness? A couple of things. I mean, if you look at my background, I'm a, a I would say you gotta make some major, you know, some major bullet points of why I think this way. So probably goes back to my previous profession, which is motocross. So, you know, I come from a, you know, I was an up and coming uh, professional motocross athlete before medical school. So nutrition and, you know, and I mean, I was sponsored by, you know, Yamaha and, um, yeah, you know, I kind of made it almost to the top before I broke my knee really bad. And, you know, long story short, mom made me go to college and I I could do okay in college. I went to, uh, UC Davis for physiology and, and I decided from there why stop there. And I went straight to medical school, you know, with the, with the notion that I was going to do sports medicine. So I always kept my hand in uh, the nutrition of this stuff, the, the human performance, you know, of physiology, medicine. And so I've always had that background and interest. And, and, and I noticed when I was in medical school that I was one of the only guys interested in nutrition. It was, or, you know, guys and girls out of my class. And it was 
And I, I always ask myself why, because, you know, it was so important to me growing up. Um, and, 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 it, and it was just to flatten me, like how the, you know, we learned about nutrition as it pertained to disease. I mean, pure disease, but we didn't, you know, the nutrition and how it pertains to wellness, being healthy, you know, kind of like a naturopath would get just didn't exist. So actually through my medical studies, you know, I actually studied with other people with the same interests. Um, I read every paper I could get my hands on and I just always kept that knowledge. And then, um, so that's some background on me, you know, why, why I think differently when it comes to, you know, mainstream medicine, uh, you know, and all keto adaptation and, you know, kind of like whatever other nutri nutrient strategies of what it means to be, uh, you know, wellness and living. So then you go into, I was in my sports, med sports medicine slash um, physical medicine and rehab training, of which I did at the University of Utah. And there we were treating brain injuries with ketones. We were actually using intravenous ketones to treat bad brain injuries. Um, and if you read the literature there, uh, the brain actually heals best um, on some sort of ketone um, exposure, if you will. You know, the, uh, you know, the, the neurons, you know, the glial, glial cells and astrocytes, it all goes into the physiology of that, very complex, but when you look at energy, usage and reactive oxygen species production uh, ketones as a fuel for certain types of brain cells do better especially in periods of high stress such as brain trauma so that was one of my first exposures to uh, ketones in medicine and I mean if you go to a book called Principia Ketogenica what's it called Principia Principia Ketogenica, yeah, it's just a Latin term for, well, I don't even know if it's... Well, I can put links in the show notes, yeah. and so people can click on these, because I'll, I'll put the link to Tripping Over the Truth, yeah. and Principia Ketogenica. I mean, and that's just a book that has every single ketogenic study that probably was done up until the point it was published. And, and you can go back in the 40s, 50s, 60s and see these studies were done. Um, and it's, it's fascinating. So, so anyway, um, going back to more of how I got in, you know, thinking this way. Then I had my own, you know, accident. You know, I'd always been a cyclist and, uh, you know, I was uh, out of residency by then. And, and it's kind of funny. I didn't get my cat one license until after I got out of residency because there's no, there's not enough time in the day, you know, working 80 to a hundred hours um, a week, you know, truthfully putting in the time and being able to, to get yourself to a level where, you know, you can compete at a, you know, a high level. And I kind of like my, uh, some, some, some sentinel events in my life that kind of got me to, to think about this stuff more deeply was when I had my own head injury. So on a, I was cycling with a you know dear friend uh, Paul Lou 
who's a big uh, wheel manufacturer and uh, awesome engineer, owns the Pasture Wind Tunnel. And anyway, I had I had a I fell and um, going downhill about oh gosh about 35, hit my head, and then um, turns out I had a uh, a cranial nerve injury from all that. Uh, not much else. And then uh, at this time, I'd already you know I'd. I always ate very well, you know, whole foods, uh, you know, I wasn't a big bar guy, you know, if it came out of a package or a wrapper, I, you know, on a daily basis, that's not what I eat. You know, I, I still got my food, you know, I don't know, just as best as anybody can do it, you know, but, uh, you know, like pasta out of a box just wasn't something I did. Um, so at this time, you know, I, I would say I wasn't fully, whatever you want to say, you know, low, lower carb, ketogenic, but I knew from a brain injury standpoint what I needed to do. So I started looking at more into the studies and revisiting my experiences from physical medicine and rehab. And I, you know, I just put myself on a strict ketogenic diet. I started taking ketone supplements um, and yeah, I'm, you know, I had double vision and everything. I thought it was career ending almost. And so, you know, I was pretty, pretty serious about it. You know? um, and it was uh, remarkable when I went over, I, I had the privilege of, you know, sitting with the radiologist as we went over my uh, MRI and brain scans and all that kind of thing. And he, he looked at my brain tissue and he goes, and, and he's, he just shook his head. He goes, I can't believe how well defined some of your brain tissue looks compared to the regular population I see. And that was, you know, kind of like caught my eye and I was like, okay, you know, that's good. That's a good thing. And then yeah. after, after three, uh, three months, uh, you know, everything completely went away. Um, you know, follow-up scans were, were negative and anyway, you know, my vision got better and I, I've never had any um, subsequent, you know, or sequelae uh, from that head injury since. From that point in my life, that's, I've never looked back. I've always been pretty much lower carb in the way I live and train. And then, and then that led me to, um, all right, how can I apply this to the athletes I work with and the, one of the first guys I applied it to was Zach Osborne. So he, he's a motocross racer who actually is, uh, who won the chan won the 250 AMA supercross and outdoor titles last year. Uh, I started working with him when he was uh, 16, uh, KTM. I was working with uh, KTM at the time and they kind of forced us together. And he was the typical motocross kid who, up and coming, fast as anything. Had been factory racers since he was a kid because he was just the next big thing, and he couldn't finish a pro moto. And then when you look at this kid, you know he's five, you know five eight, something like that, and 190 pounds, and obviously overweight, metabolically wrecked, and it took years of us working together. And one of the, the pinnacle things we did was switch his diet to low carbs. 
you know, I mean, and it just didn't all happen at once. It took years for Zach to, to finally become metabolically stable. He was just, I mean, he was pre-diabetic as a, well, as a 17-year-old. I know? think there's a lot of people out there, kids and adults, that changing, they think that, you know, you change your diet, you're going to heal like that. But for me, it took about seven years to feel good after I had dug myself in a pretty deep hole. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a long term commitment, and if you're not willing to you know to to do that, that's that's the hard part about it, you know. But but thank goodness for people like uh, doing the Verta study, Jeff Folick, Steve Finney, all these people, uh, you know, Andreas Senefelt, um, and DietDoctor.com, who've who, who've shown us that you know eating lower carb is probably kind of the way you should be doing it. I mean, when you start to not eat out of packages, you kind of find yourself, you know, getting closer to probably how you, how it should be, you know, back to to Zach Osborne, because it's, it's a wonderful story. I mean, this kid was the next big thing. Companies were putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into this kid, into the sport of motocross. And, you know, finally, after, you know, I think it was five or six years of us working together, he was in his 20s. And I said, Zach, you have to eat this way. Uh, now is the time. And he just, he, he embraced it. Uh, we even wound up going to like, you know, the Bulletproof Conference together and, you know, just kind of, you know, getting into breathing exercises, which he still uses today, you know, but, but but mainly his body was ready to respond to all the metabolic damage he had instilled in himself since he was a kid. You know, he'd never looked at his diet. And he just, a kid who would eat, you know, sugar. And they even had a nickname for him called Snack Pack, you know, because uh, they'd always see him with, a, you know, some sucker in his mouth or some snow cone, you know, after a race. You know, which he obviously didn't need, uh, and he was just overweight. Today, you know, Zach is um, 100% turnaround, but he's just an example of what you can do once you metabolically repair yourself and put in the effort. And today, I don't, you know, Zach and I are just very, very good friends. He's training with uh, Alden Baker, who is a very well-known name in the, uh, you know, in the sport, and it's, you know. Uh, it's probably safe to say that how Zach and I work together throughout the years, not to mention, you know, I, I basically concierge medicine handled all of his injuries. As you know, motocross racers, you know, break their wrists, ankles, legs, you know, concussions, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, I just through metabolically repairing him he responded to healing of all his all of his injuries throughout the years that much better so i mean it just doesn't go into cancer it also goes into how you heal you know and if you look at these kids in motocross who wreck themselves all the time and he's not the only example um you know you got misha tate uh once uh with her and she fought she fought for the championship for holly holmes um Part of, part of what we did with her was getting her metabolically 
optimized, which she was pretty much there, you know, but she did, she embraced like uh, eating liver and high, high nutrient dense foods to make sure her iron was optimized, um, you know, and concussion protocols. It goes back to healing of the brain and you know, things like you know, some of the reasons why I wanted to do this with the athletes. So, I mean, it, uh, yeah, I could go on and on. I mean, I got, you know, with Jack Osborne, Misha Tate. Uh, I'm currently working like at Weston Pike. I have worked with, um, you know, Olympic athletes, uh, Brenda Martinez, who's currently, you know, currently in the, um, you know, in the mix for the uh, 1500, I believe. Um, and, and then, I guess the more, one of the more fascinating things is like cycling. How do you do, I should back up, you know, that's how Peter and I came together. It's like, how do you do all this in the world of cycling? You know? Right. Cause you've worked with the AG2R team. Yep. Team. Yep. I've been the team doctor or consultant for them. Uh, 2000. I was their team doctor for Tour California uh, and several instances. I'm also the, the medical doctor for a, a French race called the, 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 the Le Quatre Jours de Dunkerque or the Four Days of Dunkirk, as we say in English. Um, and I worked with AG2R you know, several times, and that's where I formed my relationships with them. And through the years, Roman Bardet and myself have always kept up. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a very small part of Roman's program, so to speak. Uh, we're just good friends. And But he is, that guy, I mean, he's such a student of the game compared to the other guys. You know, he does his research. He, he basically listens to very well-educated people. He's a very well-educated person himself. Um, and, and how it all came about is, do you remember when Peter wrote that long, um, synopsis of the faster study before it came out? Yes. So this is a great story. I mean, I didn't, you know, out of the blue, Roman emails me and he emails me with Peter's, uh, uh, blog post and he goes, do you know this guy? And, uh, and I, I kind of just kind of smiled. I said, yeah, uh, yeah, Roman, I just talked to him the other day. <laughs> That's uh, and he, he was very interested and he looked at the results of the faster study and he goes, and he goes, wow, at 65% of my VO2 max, if I could get my body to, you know, spare the glycogen for the end of the race, I know that'll give me an advantage. So Roman was all about it. And, and he said, teach me how to do this, Jonathan. And, and, um, so I did, you know, and it was, uh, already, you know, I'd already been working with some U S cyclists on this already. And so he was all in and it, it took, you know, probably, you know, just some months for him to try it. And, and we, it should be stated, you know, that every cyclist at the pro tour level or at the professional level is already fat adapted to some extent. You have just by default to have to be pretty insulin sensitive. The story of the cyclist is a special one. You know, those guys spend 
three to six to eight hours pedaling a bicycle. And, you know, you, you got to think about it. You know, the, 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 some of their best performances come after five and a half hours on the bicycle, you know, and it's really a triage of just taking care of yourself. So anyway, going back to the cyclists, the professional cyclists train so much throughout the year and the volume they put in, you know, you, they go through their glycogen, they go into fat metabolism. And I don't care if they, they give themselves a gel every three an hour, they're still going to tap into their fat metabolism. So that comes into people like Romaine. One of the things he first remarked about it, eating this way, because he, he was a bread and pasta guy, all this, and he ate. But the thing about Romaine is he ate from his grandmother's garden. So everything that came into his body was basically non-processed pretty, you know, for the most part, um, and organic and he knew where the food came from. It's a very important part of his deal, but what he couldn't believe and he kept calling, I mean, I, I don't call this guy. He calls me. <laughs> he says he couldn't believe eating like 70 to 80% fat in his diet that he didn't gain weight. He just, he was just dumbfounded. He goes, you know, and, and I mean, when you look at those guys, they are not healthy looking as far as weight. And Romain Barthe is exceptionally skinny. Not just exceptionally skinny. I mean, I've seen that guy up close. You can actually see his vertebrae through his skin. It's not a healthy thing. I'm not going to vouch to say, you know, professional cycling at the Tour de France level is is a uh, is a as a feature of health those guys are taking big risks on their bone density and all this kind of stuff and you know romaine's a very uh, pure guy i mean he he does it by the book i mean he's he's a you know i can say that i know the guy that well but anyway when he came back to me he said you know number one i can't believe my weight stayed exactly where i needed it to be uh, through eating, and he just increased, you know, meats, fish, salads, uh, organ meats. Uh, he increased uh, boudin noir, which is uh, basically blood sausage, and to get his iron levels up. As you know, you know, iron is huge in altitude training, which all these guys do. So anyway, that was that's kind of how. So, and then Roman would go out for like six hours and just, you know, do like these zone two lower intensity, you know, rides. And he would just do them, you know, eating cashews and, you know, other minimal, minimal carbs. And he'd see how his body responded to it. And then bring in like, uh, and he was using Vespa as well. Uh, he still uses it off and on, I believe. And then, and then he kept going with it. And that's when he got second in the Tour de France. My husband's a big cyclist and watches and keeps track of everybody. I'm like, watch Romain Bardet because he's been working with you and Peter and then um, the following year, Peter said he wasn't following the program necessarily as closely. Yeah, once you get that big, and and it's that's that's um that's true. You know, it's it, once you're in a team environment, it is so hard to follow and eat what you want. For example, and the cyclists by tradition eat like crud. 
you know, the whole Italian mantra of, you know, eat pasta, 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 and, and it still exists to this day. And, um, you know, and often the teams are, are, unless you have a personal chef like Team Sky and Chris Room and all that, um, they're, they're all, they're all, you know, you know, they're all forced to eat what the hotel provides often. And it's just, it's not optimal uh, of what these guys are fed. Which is sort of sad, you know, the sport of cycling, the pro cyclists aren't making tons of money like a pro football player. No, no. Or, and they're not, you know, the food pro football players, but I imagine with their income level, they could afford better quality rations. The, um, I know the, isn't the Lakers work with, Kate uh, yeah, Kate Shanahan, which is pretty much a similar approach to all of this. You would think that the cycling teams would jump on board. Yeah. But it, hey, you can't, it, Old ideology, there's a saying, I mean, old ideology dies one scientist at a time, right? Right. And I'll tell you, if you go to any of the USA USA cycling certifications or USA triathlon, they're pushing the carbs. Like they're pushing, they're telling that's what the athletes should eat. And that's what the coaches should teach them is to eat all this garbage yeah so let's i can actually go there there's actually some great examples out there right now that are are kind of forming but i'll I'll give a little more tidbit i mean with romaine so romaine i mean he was down to 25 carbs a day at sometimes he told you know so he's pushing the envelope and this is during training not racing so then when he got into racing found okay i'm going to bring back in the carbs you know like like you know from an ofm approach you know, like probably how you should be doing it. Right. So he did that and it worked. It worked wonderful for him. Um, you know, and again, nothing is magic. It, it's kind of all, there's some, there's always luck involved. And during the off season, he found that increasing his insulin sensitivity by exposing himself to low carbohydrate, higher fat environments helped him handle the sugar better when he took it just as you know you prescribe as peter prescribes in the OFN programs you know and that's what we've been finding and then his dependence on the artificial gels and stuff you know we don't you don't even call that food right e- eating something out of a magnetic looking pack is <laughs> It's just, it's just not, I mean, if it's made to stay on a shelf for years at a time, you know, like Carbo Boost or something like that, I mean, it just goes beyond comprehension, really. And so, and then, you know, so anyway, Romaine got more on board with making his own um, food, you know, like, uh, you know, most of those guys eat naturally. Um, and... You know, they'll eat paninis and ham and oil and first part of the race. And then during the second part of the race, they, um, you know, they, they, uh, so the, uh, they'll eat, you know, the latter half of the race is when like all that crud comes in, like, you know, the mixes and the Cokes and, the, you know, and, and, and they need that stuff, but to a point, but the more natural you can make it is, you know, is is the better way to go. Um, and I guarantee you, Froome, guys like Froome, Bardet, 
they all employ this type of food strategies now. And I mean, we can go back to like Alan Lin, kind of the revolution he kind of started, you know, basically he just said that eat real food and on goos and gels and power bars and, you know, all these things that we used to think of food. That US of course, then he made his own f- supplement line. It's part of the game and I get it, you know, right. um, but you know, when you start, at least people are more on the page of, you know, eating, uh, you know, avocados and eggs and, and things for post-race food and, uh, and with a bit of rice, you know, from the right places versus having, you know, a boxed, uh, you know, pasta that's, you know, been made to stay on a shelf for years, um, you know, this kind of stuff. And then, and then. So then I get into, there's a, uh, two guys, uh, uh, the Australian team called Orica Green Edge, or now they're, they're Orica Scott, I believe, Michelin Scott. It's Sven Tuft is a guy to look into. The Canadian cyclist Sven Tuft, T-U-F-T, multi-time Canadian champion, uh, and his nutritionist, uh, who's also a uh, person working with Peter Defty right now named Barry Murray. Oh, I know Barry. I know who he is. I don't know him personally, but I know who he is. And they and they both go out. They they started up with called the Connected Athlete. Yeah, and that's a very good resource. Um, but basically, if you listen to their podcast, and they got a dozen of them out right now, you get a very unique view into Sven Tuff's program. Basically, you just see it. I mean, it's, it's what you prescribe, what Peter Duffy has been prescribing for years, just this uh, real food approach, uh, you, you know, sensitizing yourself to carbohydrates and whenever you can during the season, especially in the off season, you know. I, I sort of do the nutrient timing according to the periodization, you know, Joe Frills different periodization. That's sort of how I um, do it just as a reference point because I use training peaks and it's easy to show my clients in the calendar. Joe is great. Yeah, um, uh, A little offshoot on that. Joe and I spent days together at the Moab uh, at Chip Chilson's Bob, uh, Bob Rolls Moab Cycling Conference and Joe and I just, uh, we couldn't, you know, we just kept talking to each other. <laughs> He's super cool. And of course, I think you're super cool. Uh, have you gone to any of the conferences, Endurance Coaching Summit conferences put on by Training Peaks? Uh, I have been to the Training Peaks uh, facility. I know Dirk Friel very well from my time at Flybe Australia as a doctor. Um, and I know Joel personally just through you know, our communications, but I haven't been... Uh, yeah, I, I hear more on the USA Cycling program there. Right. Well, so the first year I have, I think, all of Joe, well, not all of his books, but I have quite a few of Joe Frill's books. And you can tell in his more recent books, and especially the Fast After 50, he talks about reducing the carbs and a little bit of, like, fat adaptation. So I'm expecting this conference I'm going to go to that they're going to fat adaptation, and it wasn't like that at all. It's all sugar. I was pretty disappointed. But then the following year, 
Paul Larson, last year, Paul Larson spoke and he coaches fat adaptation. He doesn't coach, he coaches pretty much the same program, but uh, he doesn't call it the same thing and he doesn't know Peter, but he's a sports physiologist from New Zealand. The, he coached the New Zealand Olympic team. All of their athletes were fat adapted. But let, you got to take it a step further. Let's talk about longevity. Yeah. You know, putting this amount of glucose in your body for this amount of years. You know, I've seen pro cyclists come out basically pre-diabetic. And then once they stop cycling, they balloon up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of my former team directors, uh, Hank Vogels, is a very good uh, example of this. You know, a uh, good friend of mine, Ben Day, he's former. Yes, Ben Day was one of the speakers at the conference. Yeah, and he's... he's he, he doesn't buy into fat adaptation. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't. Well, he, yeah, because I asked him a question at the conference and he had zero idea of what the heck I was talking about. Right, and the, the problem is, is these cyclists imagine that you have to do the you have to do this carb restriction like during periods of high performance no which we, we know you can't right. it's uh you know you've got to put in but it's the type of carbs you're putting in but it's the work you've done before you get there that really makes the difference and actually i've had personal communications with ben he actually broke down and said yeah during the off season it does make sense to limit your carbs you know, in a, in a strategic manner to, to build up your insulin sensitivity. Right. To lower your fasting insulin levels to sort of repair your liver too. I mean, all that sugar going through your system is terrible on your liver function. Is that your joints? Yes. Your Your tendons. Your fascia. Yeah. I mean, it just goes into your whole body as far as, and then for even your brain. Yeah. I mean, you got to take some hits to their head, too. You know, so, yeah, so the off-season is about healing your body. And then uh, going back to Sven and all that, um, what's real neat about following Sven and Barry right now is Sven's really been doing this, uh, what, everything we're talking about for before it was cool, like 10 years plus. You know, and he's just, you know, and he's, and he came to the conclusion that, you know, he started talking to people about it and he finally just had to shut up about it because like, you know, people just kind of get turned off and, oh, you can't. Well, they look at you like you're a crazy person. I can relate to that. At the conference, there was a, a speaker who was totally pushing, like, you have to train your body to even take up more and more and more sugar. And I asked him a couple questions, and let me tell you, just people in the audience were giving me the evil eye, like, who is she to ask those questions to him? Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I remember, yeah, I remember we talked about that. But if you look at what Sven's doing, you know, that guy, he carries around his sardines and, and liver and, and all this to, to everywhere he goes, and he'll mix a bit of rice in there, you know, as needed. Um, you know, but, but he's doing so much more than that. He's also cold adapting himself. You know, he doesn't do the cryo, he doesn't do the cold baths after after uh, races and stuff, but he'll spend periods like in uh, doing cold soaks, adapting his body to the cold. 
he'll spend time in saunas, you know, adapting the, to, to saunas. And then back on Roman Bardet, that was another big part of his program was getting heat adapted because, you know, the Europeans melt in the heat. That's a, a common knowledge in cycling. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, getting in a sauna for, for Romani was huge. So back, uh, if you follow Sven, you know, the guy like the protein drinks, he despises them. He, you know, he just, it's not food to him. And he, he will wait until, you know, he can really eat real food. Uh, and he just, he's doing it, uh, so much different. And the guy doesn't need to train like six, eight hours on the bike. He trains, you know, two to four with the same results. And he's, uh, uh, you know, and he's still 41 as a Tour de France cyclist. And, and people don't realize this guy is, does all three grand tours in one year. I mean, think about it. He does three three-week races in one year as the guy who's pulling the peloton around. That's pretty amazing. And he, uh, he's going to be the start of people coming out of the woodworks. You know, exactly what they call it, you know, a connected athlete. You know, and, uh, and it's so much more about connecting yourself. You know, he's all about going out barefoot and making sure your circadian rhythms are in check. You know, how many athletes are just stuck in their hotel rooms, taking a Xanax, forcing themselves to go to sleep? That right there can, I, I don't care how well your nutrition is, but if you're hooked on that, there's a break in your physiology and whatever you do with the nutrition, you know, or give yourself ketone supplements or whatever it is it's not going to work so there's a lot there's there's so much to this it's hard for people just to wrap their head around the fact that it's not just your diet a lot of factors into being healthy and to performing well oh yeah and then you know it's a you know and the young kids come with you know all this natural talent and all that kind of stuff and that gets them through that you can do whatever you want to your body and you'll still be a good performer based on your genetics and all that. Kind of well, some people, but yeah. Yeah. But you know, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then you start looking at the longevity of, of, you know, people in life and people in sports and it comes down to, can you connect the dots, you know, and then the diet just seems to be one of the first doors. I agree. 110%. Well, Jonathan, I have taken up a lot of your time. Folks who want to check out Jonathan Edwards, I'll put a link to his website, edwardsfitness.com. 